This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 44 of Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we discuss the benefits of spending time in the wilderness. In Tigopedia, we find out how to determine the fat needs of our horses. Critter Nutrition focuses on shilajit, a biomass resin from the Himalayas. And in Coffee Clatch, we share our tips for buying and selling horses. Listen in. So, Patty P. So, Tiggy. We both had vacations. We did. We had great vacations. We had awesome vacations. You didn't take me along. Vacations are, I have decided, extremely important. Well, I have to agree. I've never been, um, I've, you know, as you know, I, we've never really done a lot of vacations. I mean, when you have a horse family and whatever, a lot of, you just don't get a lot of vacations. We've taken, I've taken a lot of trips, but they've always been horse related. This was the first time I was able to have my whole family together. And, um, we went to Grand Lake, Colorado and it truly, for so many different reasons, and Tigger and I were sharing our trip stuff the other day. It was just, it was a life changing experience for so many different reasons, but you know, we were just, and I wasn't in the wilderness as much as Tigger was, but, um, it was just, it was just amazing. It was just, it was just simply amazing. And I read somewhere, um, about taking vacations. I don't know how I even got into to looking at this on the internet, but they, they, they say that the pe- that people take taking vacations, you know, wherever it is you want to go, they end up being, having better digestive si- systems, believe it or not, are healthier and are happier at work. Which, I mean, makes sense, but, like, I get it now. Yeah. I totally get it. So, I was in Alaska, mm-hmm. and it's the most unbelievable place I have ever been in. And I, I'm going to quote from um, an, what an Alaskan told me, which I think really sums up the Alaska experience, which is, in Alaska, the wilderness is around the people. And in the lower 48, the people are around the wilderness. I just, I, I quoted that. I told you earlier, I quoted that like 15 times today. I mean, because if you really think about that, like. Yeah, it's profound. It's, oh, it's so profound. And if somebody lives in an area like on a farm or whatever, like, you know, Tigger in, in Charlottesville in, in Virginia. I mean, the farm that we have is was almost 400 acres and it was very much you know, you're not in the wilderness, but you're certainly not in the mainstream thing, but it's, you know, you're, you're five minutes from a a Kroger, you know? Right. Right. Um, But you're not talking about that. No. I mean, I was in the wilderness and the only way to get supplies was by boat. (laughs) God, that's so cool. It's so cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, And you're just surrounded by the wild and it, and it's not just, you know, a couple of acres, it's thousands of miles. Of yeah. Of, like you seriously of, can get lost. <laughs> easy. You know, I think what I was dumbfounded by, like in a great way, and again, 
I, I want to emphasize to the listeners where I was, was definitely a, a, a tourist town, very small. I mean, the, the, the biggest thing of my whole trip, besides being with my whole family is I wanted to see a moose and I was, I, we were coming out of the national park and some cars were pulled over and there in broad daylight was a bull moose walking behind a cow through some water. And it was so amazing. And so like, Nothing like I had ever experienced. I've seen animals in the woods. We've seen bear at our farm. But this was so unbelievable. And that feeling of, wow, this is so not in society. This is so not in our control of what that thing's going to do. I mean, yep. like, it, we, we, you know, you take your own risk. And, and then these funny signs of, you know, in town, it's, it, you know, your warning about seeing wildlife and the one was for the moose was if you see a moose run, if you fall down, get up. <laughs> it's just sort of like, okay. But it, you know, but it was just sort of like, you are at your own risk. Seriously, not kidding. You are at your own risk. You know, if you go out and go hiking, if you run across a mountain lion, you know, <laughs> your cell phone's not going to work. What? You know, um, it was just amazing. And it's just amazing. Well, what, what was at first I, almost had anxiety when I realized no cell and no internet. And I'm mm-hmm. like, my God, how do I take care of Biostar and customers? Mm-hmm. And my sister is going, you're not supposed to, you're on vacation. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I don't really operate that way. And then I discovered how really amazing it is when yeah. you unplug and you plug into the wild. Yeah, and and the energy of at least where, where I was in Alaska, and I was you know on, on the ocean. So you have the water element, the trees, and they're huge. Some of them very old growth spruce trees, plants, mountains, glacier, mm. sky, big sky, and then eagles, sea otters, seals, whales, bears. Um, it's like puffins. overload. It's like, it's like yeah. overload. It's like, my God, how many more animals are there here? Moose. I could hear the wolves. One night, the <sighs> wolves started up. And it was, it, it, you know, I wasn't scared of it. I was like, I want to sing with them. And I would go out at night. I was in this little um, cabin. And I would just sit on the steps and listen to the night sounds. Or listen to the dawn sounds of the gulls oh, and yeah. the eagles would start. You know, they, they, they talk to each other. And it's in sort of a whistle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really be, a beautiful language. Then they have, you know, they're sort of mad at each other language. But I liked their, <laughs> when they were saying nice things to each other. Um, yeah. Like there's a salmon down there. Um, <laughs> one of it. the most interesting things about what I learned about Alaska is that in this particular ecosystem, everything really evolves around the salmon and not Mm. just the salmon for the people to eat and the bears to eat and the eagles to eat, but the salmon actually fertilize the soil because the eagles will drop pieces on the beach and in the trees and the mm-hmm. bears will drag stuff into the woods and drop it in and it breaks down into the soil. And when you see what these little outposts in Alaska, what they grow in terms of vegetables, 
Their mm. soil is so dark and rich because it's had millions of years of fish just mm. being part of the soil and breaking down. And I mean, cabbages that were bigger than my head. <laughs> that was my <laughs> in, in 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 a very short growing season. I mean, their growing season is way shorter than ours, and yet everything gets bigger. Of course, they have light, you know, almost 24 hours a day. But this relationship between the the fish and the land and the land creatures and the, the sea creatures, it to me, it it suddenly was a connectedness that I had never put together. And it also made me realize how fragile that is, how easily mankind can disrupt it by overfishing, um, which mm-hmm. I have to say, Alaska is absolutely on top of, they have fish counts. They know how much salmon has spawned. They know how much to allow fishermen to take in order to maintain a balance and not upset the balance. But along with, it's amazing. They, they are like, like checks. It's like checks and balances in what we go through in our normal life, but it's in what makes the world kind of go round. I mean, that's just in such a broader yeah, brought more intimate way, mm-hmm. but what really, what really hit home to me in this interconnected web of everything is when something is out of balance or it changes, it is a has a profound effect, and um, the most recent is the acidity of the oceans. Well, that has affected this part of Alaska. And because of the rising temperature of the ocean and the acidity, it has caused an algae bloom. Now, we know there's been algae blooms in, you know, warmer waters. Um, I think there was a big one in Florida, right, Jen? Um, Jennifer, there was one, I don't know, six months ago, a year ago. Yeah, a little bit. This has affected the clams and the oysters Mm -hmm. and the mussels. And if you eat a clam or a mussel or an oyster that has this algae, it will make you very sick. You won't Uh-oh. die, but you will be very sick. So, so now you, you know, the subsistence um, Alaskans can't go out and dig for clams and oysters because of this algae. Now, larger companies will harvest them because they go through a very vigorous cleaning process. Um, Hmm. but when I heard that and you can see, you know, there's warning signs and along some of the coastal areas of, you know, don't dig here and don't eat it. And, and it really struck me as to, you know, if the ocean has only increased one or two degrees, look at the impact just in Mm -hmm. one area. Mm So. It's, it's, it was a real reminder to me of how fragile it is and how utterly important it is that we are mindful of the gift of the wilderness. And, you know, we'd be cruising around and see kayaks and, and every once in a while you'd see a plastic bottle, which was like, what are you doing here? How, it was like repulsive. It was like disgusting. Yeah. And these Alaskans, I mean, they, they, they will not let it go. I mean, they'll, they'll 
you know, we'll turn the kayak around and we'll scoop it up. Yeah. Because they're, and when, when that, and that happened a couple of times and one was like a piece of a pail floating in the water. Um, and I thought, you know, I could be at almost any beach and there could be plastic in the water. And nobody would pick it up. Of course, of course. Yeah. Because it's, it's not the culture. Right. You know, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's all about convenience. I mean, the, the other thing, I don't want to get um, away without you talking about um, uh, the, the, the kids and the respect for the wilderness. Um, I forgot what you called it that they did. Um, uh, remember when you said you, you guys went up to the, the glacier? It was a ceremony. Oh, gosh. There's, it was a little group of, um, you know, second, third, fourth graders. Um, and they're all learning musical instruments. It's like a little um, orchestra. And they went up to one of the glaciers and mm. played for the glacier. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yep. Yeah. And that's just a, a small illustration of the kind of respect that Alaskans have for where they live and mm -hmm. the all the the natural world that's all around them um the young staff at the at the wilderness camp um they're all alaskans they're all going to college but they're so plugged in not in terms of technology in terms of being so respectful and so protective of the natural world mm. and you know like when we after we'd filmed sea otters um my my guide um parker would say thank you to the sea otter mm. i mean that just gives me chills i just i just it, it's just it's a time it's a time forgotten it's a time a time gone it's you know it's just um it's and I think the important yeah. thing of getting to the wilderness is to is to have that remembered and to reconnect with it, um, and that's why I feel so fundamentally altered in in mm -hmm. such a good way. I mean, I kind of went feral. That's true, um, <laughs> but yeah. that's that's a good thing. And the constraints of our lives and um, our families and our jobs and all of that, it's, it's like layers of separation really from the essence of living, which is nature. Well, it just shows you how much we um, take so much of this for granted. I mean, and that was the first thing that I... I kept feeling was, you know, just how, <clears throat> how I, you know, how much I, I miss the ability, um, to just, uh, be able to, to, to go, like, I said this to you, Tigger, I mean, I, I was, I'm mad at myself because I didn't take more advantage of being able to hike in the Blue Ridge. Now, granted, I had young kids and there was a lot that I couldn't do, but the first thing I kept thinking of is like, oh my gosh, it, it, they weren't, they weren't these mountains, but they were definitely different mountains that I could. There's so much about natural beauty that's around us that I was so much more acutely aware of 
that I didn't appreciate in places that I've lived. And, you know, mm-hmm. in every place. I mean, every place ha- has value. I mean, Florida has its places. Even in Wellington, there's things there. I will never forget walking around and um, a manatee had gotten in one of the canals. And I was just like, wait, what? You know, or walking around and seeing the alligators or whatever it is. But being out somewhere where you don't hear cars and you hear eagles talking or, you know, um, the biggest form of entertainment is getting up really early and walking up this little hill and sitting in Anirondack chairs and having a chipmunk every single morning come and meet me. I was just like, who needs TV? Like I kept thinking, I don't ever need to do anything else again. Yep. Uh, if I could figure out a way yep. to eat. And, yeah, it, it just was amazing. Truly amazing. So, um, I, I, I really encourage, you know, all of the healthy critters listeners to seek, to seek the wilderness. And it, you know, it doesn't have to be as, far away as Alaska, though I would highly recommend it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I and I wouldn't I wouldn't do a cruise ship um because you're you're too separated. You know, that's yeah. another barrier. You really need to be on the land in the ocean. Well know. it's just taking that little island of civilization and shoving it in the middle of all of it. You know what I mean? It's sort of like if you want to experience Alaska to me, I mean and again, there are some people that aren't going to want to do it the way that you and your um, how old is your mother? <laughs> 86. 86 year old mother um, who's going to go kayaking, <laughs> doing yeah. all sorts of stuff, want to do. But it's just, you know, it's just that whole point is do something. You know, that's what I got out of my whole trip was do something. Do something to understand what's beyond the tarmac, what's beyond and, the road. And I think it gives one a, a new appreciation, at least it did for me, a really new appreciation of the horses. And the dogs and, you know, the mm-hmm. critters that are, you know, wild to us in our locality, like possums and raccoons and who I've always liked. But suddenly I saw them in a different, in a different way. Um, Maybe they weren't as much of a nuisance. I, you know, I've never thought of them. I know people think of possums as nuisances, well, raccoons as nuisances. Yeah. I, I've always enjoyed them and appreciated them for the gifts that they bring, but I saw them more connected to the bigger picture. Like mm-hmm. if you kill a, a possum, how are you upsetting the balance mm-hmm. of your own, you know, ecosystem? Yeah. Um, Something so small gets so big. It, exactly. And and that's what I, I really learned about hunting in Alaska, not trophy hunting, but you know, the native Alaskans have are given permits by the state. So many um, walruses they can take and so many seals. And it's very, again, it's very controlled. Um, And so many moose and Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And when they go out and do a walrus kill, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the whole community goes out and not all of them are in the boat. Some of them are waiting for the walrus to be brought in. And then they start, you know, taking the hide apart and taking the the meat out and they value every single part of that animal. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, we go out and we, you know, hunt deer. Well, we use the meat, but we leave you know, we skin it and, you know, throw the, the skin to the dogs or bury it in the trash or bury it in the ground. 
but, but the native Alaskans, they use every bit of it. Mm-hmm. They use it for slippers. They use it for parkas. They use it for all sorts of things. Right. You know, they make tools out of the horns. It's, it's, uh, if you're going to kill an animal, then I think we have much to learn from them about doing it in a respectful way and in a way that doesn't cause an imbalance. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. A question I have for you. Were you, because, you know, I've always considered you, you know, very close to earth and you being, um, not granola crunchy, but you know what I mean? Pretty just close. Sort of, yeah. But you know what? I mean, you're just, you, you really put a lot of time into this. Um, were you surprised at how much you could learn? Yeah. Not that I, not that I went there with any degree of arrogance. I went there with, Oh no, no I don't mean it like that at all. Yeah. What, yeah. what this is going to be like, but mm-hmm. I was just astounded at the depth that I didn't even realize of awareness that I, I had never tapped into. Yeah. That's kind of what I mean, because I, I feel look like back now and I've really been, you know, floating on the surface. God. Yeah. And that's You're... why I have to go back to Alaska next year. I, I mean, it's, you have to, I'm, I'm called there. I felt like home to me. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I understand that. And, you yeah. know, I think when you get like, you felt that way about Colorado yeah. and when you, when you get that pull and you get that tug, you have to answer it because not answering it is the worst thing you can do to yourself. Oh, I, and I can, I mean, I can completely understand that. And, you know, and the great thing is, <laughs> um, the, the lottery is like over 700 million. <laughs> so I had Peter go out and buy a bunch of tickets. So I'm going to, if we win, I'm moving to Colorado <laughs> I'll awesome. come out twice a month and have cell reception to do the show. And then you'll never hear from me again. <laughs> I, I totally get it. I mean, yeah. I, this morning, um, I was looking up Airbnbs, mm. um, for, you know, uh, to spend a month in Homer, Alaska. Now I'm not going to do that next year, but I can see down the road that spending a month there every summer would, would be, be awesome, yeah. regenerating. And Homer, Alaska is like, it's 5,000 people and it's, it's artists are really artists, fishermen, you know, tourists, obviously, um, uh, pilots that, you know, fly, uh, seaplanes and it's just a motley crew. And the whole vibe is be who you are, be who you are. That's awesome. It it was, I, I mean, there's. It, it's there's a vibe of a no judgment, which is it's rare. Yeah, and it may be because they are so close to nature. You know that judgment just doesn't play a major role. Well, it sounds that like they're not really in you know around the media, social media, any of this stuff. Well, I I will say that the that the you know um, the college kids at the at the camp that were working there, you know, they all had cell phones. They'd go out into the bay. They'd row out into the bay or they'd get a, in a motorboat and go out into the bay to get, <laughs> to get cell signal. Oh, that's pretty that's funny. That's really funny. Um, that's commitment. That's but commitment. they weren't on it all day long. You know, they used walkie-talkies yeah. to communicate with the camp. Um, and they, you know, weren't sitting in their rooms looking at a computer. There were no TVs. There were no phones. 
Um, everyone hung around after dinner, and it's still light. And they talked. And they talked. You and know, it's, laughed and it, it's so funny because I saw this as soon as we got back from Colorado. And we had better cell phone reception than you did, but it just was sketchy. And we just didn't care. We just left our phones. We didn't care. Because, you know, everybody we needed to be there was there. And I saw this post that said, hey, I'm having a bunch of people over so we can sit around and look at our phones. You guys want to come? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. You know, um, yeah, totally cool. So go, head out to the wilderness. There you go. Yep. And, and get rejuvenated. I'm in. Hetty! Hello, Hetty. Yes, Hetty, I'm Jennifer. <laughs> how are you? Where am I? No, I said, how are you? Oh, I am fine, thank you. I'm in my home. Oh, that must be nice. <laughs> it sounds I like you've got some friends home. with you. I want cheese. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course you do. Well, I want to cheese see too, that Eddie. I want cheese too. Me too. I think we should all have some cheese. Yes, we should. <laughs> I think that's a, <laughs> a grand idea. Well, t- the topic of today's show, Hedwig, is the wilderness and how the wilderness is healthy for mind, body, and soul. So we wanted oh. to get your opinion. On humans who want to take their furry family members into the wilderness with them. How do you feel about that? By wilderness, do we mean horse show? No, we mean, <laughs> we mean wilderness where there are no automobiles, no cell service, no indoor plumbing. Wilderness. Wild animals. Yes. Um, I prefer a five-star hotel with good service. <laughs> or... At worst, a four-stall hotel with room service. I mean, that's that's slumming it for sure, but that's how I'm going to roll. Five-star hotel room service. Um, (laughs) So we won't find you, like, um, out in... Okay. Okay. (laughs) What if there's cheese the whole way? What if you arrive in cheese in a cheese cart with a cheese driver? <laughs> I like a cheese course every few minutes. A cheese course, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can provide me with a cheese course in the middle of nowhere and uh-huh. there's climate control and I can lie upside down leaning against a wall of some sort, then yes, no problem. Oh, and my okay. sister will have to come with me because she's my emotional support animal. Ah. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, how would okay. you feel about, you know, meeting a wild animal, like a bear or... Like my brother Loki? No, much bigger than than the corgi. Um, I, one time we saw a black bear and it was safer inside. <laughs> I like your, I like the way you, you talk there, Hetty. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. We have mm-hmm. a dragon at the barn. Oh, and a kraken. They're both very disturbing and angry. I recommend not hanging out with them. Mm. I mean, but if you were walking with your human in the wilderness and you came upon one. 
out of curiosity, on what planet are you living that I would be walking with my human in the wilderness? I'm sorry. That's a really good point, Tigger. Where are you going with this one? <laughs> well, so nine Street on the west side. I'm just a little confused. Uh, do you mean was- rush hour? <laughs> Digger, I, think, I, think I on your no, feet, sister. I, I, I know. I'm. 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 My brain is is warped. Uh, she's done it to me again. There. I have no answer, Patty. Yeah, um. I. I didn't ask a question. <laughs> I. I didn't. I'm not the one that said it. So I hand this over to you, Jen. Jen. Well, here we go. It sounds as if Hedwig, you have very strong opinions on this topic, as you do most topics. Thank you very much. Most everything. <laughs> And that uh, Hedwig, along with our everyone else's furry family members, is thoroughly ensconced in civilization. So perhaps we should just encourage them all to go to your local uh, dog park and trot around a bit and then sit down and have some cheese. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. need dog parks either. Those are for the bourgeois. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yes, of course. Well, there are bourgeois who listen to the show, so we'll, we'll recommend that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have my private farm. <laughs> Thanks a bunch, Hetty. We appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Hetty. Bye bye. Have some cheese. Run along now. Oh God, that's funny. That's pretty funny. She gets me every time. Well, but she. Yeah, you you should know better. You live with her. So we are now at the Tigopedia uh, part of the show, and I have recently had a lot of questions, Tigger, um, on on fats and how you add them to your diet and how, how you know when you would add it to your horse's diet. So uh, uh, horses that are on pasture are getting, you know, one, one and a half percent fat from pasture, and that's in the form of the omega fatty acids. And that's just from the grass? That's just from the grass. Okay. So if your horse is on like pasture in like Southern Florida, which is not real pasture and it, it I, I don't know that there's even, you know, 0.5% omega threes in, uh, in that grass, but normal mm-hmm. pasture, Timothy fescue, um, prairie grass, native grasses is about one and a half to 2% fat. So when you decide that you need to add fat to the horse's diet, um, there are basically two questions. Are you adding fat because you need to put weight on a horse? It's a very good way to add calories okay. without adding grain, which is a lot of carbohydrate and sugar. And the other question is, do you need fat for energy? Which is another reason that that people use grain is to provide that, you know, sugar, muscle, glycogen energy. Right. But fat is a long burn energy. So it, it actually is, think of it more of a, as an endurance energy source because it's not burned up quickly. So you really have to assess, is it an energy need in terms of, muscle energy, exercise energy, or do you need to add fat because you need to put weight on a horse? 
And once you've determined the reason that you need to add more fat, then you can decide how you want to, in what form you want to add it, you know, whether you want to feed it in an oil form, um, which is highly concentrated fat, or whether you want to feed it more in a whole food form, which would be rice bran, coconut meal, um, those kinds of fats, Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. just because they have the protein and fiber and other things in them. And those sources, like um, just from a food source, would be like the Renew Gold has stabilized rice. Yeah. The rice bran and the coconut, and then Cool Stance is just the coconut. Right. But they have all the other factors of the food, the fiber, the protein. Um, uh, uh, A fat that's liquefied is just fat. You're not getting any fiber. You're not getting any protein. And for some horses, you kind of need both. Mm-hmm. Um, like high, maybe a younger horse or something, right? A, That's- a younger horse or a high performance horse, horses that are working really hard benefit from, um, an oil fat because it's very readily digested and from a whole food fat. So for example, uh, an oil that would be camelina oil or camelina oil, hemp oil, oil, coconut oil, flax oil. What yeah. about olive oil? I'm not a big fan. It's so high in omega-6. Okay. And what Um, can that do? Well, omega-3 and omega-6 are the pro-inflammatory, anti-inflammatory essential fatty acids. And ideally, they live in a balance. Um, Omega-6 is the pro-inflammatory fatty acid. Okay. Grains typically are high in omega six. Rice bran is high in omega six. Um, if you have too much omega six, then you're causing an imbalance, and then you need to elevate the levels of omega three, which would be flax or chia. And I horses need omega six, and they need omega three, and they need more omega three than they do omega six. So, you know, you feed it, you can feed it in a one-to-one or two-to-one ratio Mm -hmm. and you're maintaining a balance of more anti-inflammatory omega-3s than pro-inflammatory omega-6s. Right, right. Okay. And the problem with olive oil for me is it's too high in omega-6. Now, if you want to feed it, you need to make sure you're feeding chia or flax to balance the omega-3-6. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. That's... I'm writing this down. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Why, well, you know, it's, it's not funny that she's because she's distracted. She's taking notes. No, yep. I'm t- okay. So olive oil, then you'd have to have chia or flax. Okay. And of course, <laughs> and of course, listeners, I just call Tigger directly constantly with the same questions <laughs> all the time. 10 years, same questions. So, Tigger, when you say it's high in omega 6, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I wrote it down again, Tig. <laughs> There's, it's, you know, the thing is, is that once you, if you say, if you figure this out a lot of time, if you hear it enough, it becomes. Um, more second nature, but there's so much, there's just so much to it. And I've just had so many people recently ask me because a perfect example. And what made me think of this particular question, Tigger, is that um, I have a PRE former stallion, now gelding um, Grand Prix horse that is um, when he was a stallion would go through, getting a little thin in the spring for obvious reasons to being a little bit of a fatty pants. And, um, we had put him on, um, hemp oil and camelina oil to help his top line, blah, blah, blah. Well, it did not do him well. He became very fat, 
very quickly. Even like I would walk and he loved it. <laughs> like he'd like lick the jar. <laughs> and so we had to take him off of that. But when I, when we were talking about that Tigger and we were talking about keeping him on cool stance versus renew gold, your first response was no, he's not going to do well on that. And that was just too much for him. So it's just kind of an interesting balance of how you figure it out for all different horses. Yeah. Each one is a, is a individual. Yes, for sure. And now we're at Critter Nutrition, and today we're going to talk about shilajit, which is a biomass resin from the Himalayas. Shilajit is a resin formed during the late Triassic period when geological shifts in the continents caused plants and extinct marine mollusks to be trapped under sentiment and rock, particularly in the Himalayas, the Caucasus, and the mountains in Pakistan. 200 million years ago, India was part of the supercontinent Pangaea. When Pangaea started to break apart, the, the Indian continental plate drifted northward, colliding with the Eurasian plate some 55 million years ago. The collision gave rise to the Himalayas. As the Himalayan mountains were formed, the lush tropical forests and vegetation were crushed and compacted under massive boulders. The forests broke down under rock. They transferred over time into a nutrient-dense biomass resin that seeps out of mountain crevices in warm weather. Legend has it that early human inhabitants of the Himalayans observed large white monkeys migrating to the mountains in summer and often chewing on a substance that flowed between layers of rock. The villagers attributed the monkey's strength, longevity, and wisdom to the substance. The villagers began to eat it too, and word passed to some Ayurvedic seers who examined the substance, experimented with it, and proclaimed it a worthy medicine. Shilajit has been used for over 3,000 years. It is listed in the Ayurvedic Sanskrit texts as an important rasayana food, meaning rejuvenating and revitalizing. It is referred to as conqueror of mountains and destroyer of weakness. Shilajit is a nutrient-dense biomass of humus containing fulvic acid and ionic minerals. The humus content, meaning the decomposed organic matter of shilajit, consists of 60 to 80% organic mass, including fulvic acid, the remainder being 85 different ionic minerals. Humus is the decomposition of organic matter, such as peat. Compost, which is still decaying, is not humus, but in time it can become humus as beneficial microbes, fungi, and soil organisms work to decompose the organic matter. This is important to understand because fulvic acid is a critical component of humus, but it is not found in compost, which is still in the decaying state. Why do we care about humus? Because our industrial farming approach for the last 75 years has made our soil sick from chemical fertilizers, herbicides, pesticides, erosion, and mineral depletion. Compaction of the soil combined with deep tillage disrupt the microbial and fungal web of the soil, make it more difficult for worms to aerate and to create the worm superhighway for microbes, fungi, and the roots of plants. Without microbes, worms and fungi organic matter cannot be broken down into humus. No humus, no fulvic acid. What's so important about fulvic acid? Fulvic acid is the result of the breakdown and recycling of plant matter and contains all the phytochemical protective substances, amino acid peptides, 
minerals, enzymes, nucleic acids, carbon, oxygen, and sulfur from the original plant matter in a highly concentrated and bioactive form. Because fulvic acid can also chelate to minerals, it increases mineral bioavailability. It is available to the cell as an electron donor and other times as an electron acceptor, which makes it a potent antioxidant molecule, helping to reduce oxidative stress. Due to its low molecular weight, fulvic acid can interact with human, plant, and animal tissue and cells. How does shilajit work? Although shilajit has been studied quite extensively in the former USSR, those studies have not been published and are deemed classified by the Russian government. What we do know about Russians' use of shilajit is that the current Russian military and elite athletic programs have been using shilajit for 40 years. The current research on shilajit is being conducted in India, the U.S., and Chile. Countries such as Germany, the U.S., and the U.K. have been studying fulvic acid for more than 30 years. At present, the identification of the constituents of shilajit are hypothesized to be the important factors in shilajit's efficacy. What we don't know is if the particular botanical decomposition that is shilajit plays a crucial role in how it works. In other words, the composition of fulvic acid from shilajit is different from fulvic acid in a deposit in New Mexico. Shilajit is classified as an adaptogen, just like er the herbs ashwagandha, holy basil, ginseng, cordyceps mushrooms. Um, shilajit is the first resin to be classified as an adaptogen. And an adaptogen is a substance that increases the body's resistance to adverse influences by a wide range of physical, chemical, and biochemical factors and has a normalizing or restorative effect on the body as a whole. Nepalese Sherpas use shilajit in their tea to help them with altitude and energy. In India, shilajit is recommended for its revitalizing and rejuvenating effects and is also prescribed by Ayurvedic pr practitioners to augment the effects of medications and other food and herbs. Shilajit helps the body on a cellular level utilize foods, plants, and medicines. Russian athletes and the elite Russian military corps have been using shilajit since the 1960s. Okay, so how shilajit works on a cellular level is one of the most amazing discoveries about this resin because the essence of Cellular energy, meaning ATP, is the mitochondria of the cell. The mitochondria of cells is essential for energy production as well as cell signaling, cell repair, and cell growth. The jobs of the mitochondria are dependent on the presence of ATP, and the mitochondria are in fact responsible for converting oxygen, food, and nutrients into ATP. This energy is commonly referred to as the currency that powers the cell's activities. So it's like the fundamental essence of energy in the body. ATP production relies on oxygen and glucose. Lack of oxygen can result in excessive lactic, lactic acid production, which creates muscle fatigue. When the mitochondria are not functioning well, it is sometimes because of a genetic mutation or is induced by oxidative stress, toxins, diet, or medications. Injuries such as connective tissue strains can be a sign of the low functioning of the mitochondria. Repair of tissues is one of the roles of the mitochondria. And if the mitochondria are not functioning at their full capacity, healing of connective tissue can be prolonged. 
progressive loss of function of the mitochondria can increase fatigue, speed up the aging process, and has been linked to a variety of chronic illnesses, including metabolic disease, neurological disorders, joint deterioration, immune system imbalances, cancer, and cardiovascular disease. Research has shown that shilajit supports the mitochondria to convert fat and sugars into ATP, improves mitochondrial function, and protects the mitochondrial membranes from oxidative damage. Mitochondrial dysfunction can be both the cause and the consequence of inflammation. By supporting the mitochondria, shilajit can increase cellular energy and protect the mitochondria so that other important functions such as cell signaling and cellular repair can perform efficiently. Further published studies have shown how shilajit actually supports and enhances CoQ10. CoQ10 is a compound found within the mitochondria. CoQ10 is a vital participant in the chemical reactions that generate energy within cells. It is required for the conversion of fats and sugar into cellular energy and is a powerful antioxidant. The studies demonstrated that there was a powerful synergistic effect between shilajit and CoQ10. What are the benefits of shilajit for horses? For high-performance horses, energy isn't just the go button. It is the muscles operating efficiently. It is the ability of the horse to do more and be able to recover quickly from strenuous athletic endeavors. It is the reduction of muscle fatigue and lactic acid burn. These are the benefits of shilajit for performance. For the horses who energy-wise are more like diesel trucks than Ferrari, shilajit increases the source of energy in the body, ATP. Shilajit helps the mitochondria to utilize fats and glucose, which translates into more impulsion for the horse. For the metabolic or easy keepers, the action of shilajit on cellular metabolism helped to burn more fat for energy. We know that metabolic imbalances are related to oxidative stress, and shilajit helps reduce oxidative stress and inflammation by its partnership with CoQ10. For horses experiencing chronic stress, which can disrupt the mitochondria, shilajit helps preserve and enhance the body's supply of CoQ10. For horses recovering from tendon or ligament injuries and horses recuperating from muscle strain or stress, shilajit is an important support food that protects the mitochondria so that healing can be accelerated. Due to shilajit's ability to reduce oxidative stress by its synergistic role with CoQ10, it helps reduce cellular inflammation. Shilajit's ability to increase ECM genes, particularly collagen, is particularly important for healing and repair of connective tissues. Bone remodeling is an ongoing process in humans and horses. Bone remodeling is triggered by a need for calcium in the extracellular fluid, and it also occurs in response to mechanical stresses on the bone. The osteoclasts break down old bone to make room for new bone, which is formed by osteoblasts. What can happen is the breakdown process of the osteoclasts accelerate quicker than the rebuilding process of the osteoblasts. Shilajit supports the osteoblasts and new bone formation. One of the common uses in India of shilajit is to augment foods and herbs. No drug interactions have been noted for shilajit, and in fact, some studies indicate that certain human drugs, such as metformin, are enhanced by shilajit. Biostar uses the patented purified shilajit extract Prima V. 
The interest in shilajit supplementation has grown considerably in the last few years, which unfortunately has created a market for varying grades of shilajit. Some shilajit supplements contain counterfeit shilajit with less than 10% fulvic acids. The best shilajit is collected at altitudes between 16,000 and 18,000 feet. This is one of the many reasons we choose Prima V. Generally, it takes several weeks on shilajit before you see a difference in your horse's energy levels, but some horses respond very quickly within days. Shilajit takes time to support the mitochondria, and often the more low-functioning the mitochondria are, the more time it takes to see a difference in your horse. You can find Shilajit in Biostar's two new products, Quantum and Impulsion, available September 1, 2017. Real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why Biostar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. Biostar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real fruit ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The Biostar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BiostarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BiostarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. So now we're at Coffee Clatch and um, we're going to talk about, we're going to share some of our tips on buying and selling horses. So let's start with the buying horse tips. Patty? Well, um, you know, I am on both ends of that sometimes. So what I try to do is... um, I, I, as, as a trainer, um, that is looking for people like right now, currently I'm looking for a couple different people and I'm also selling some horses through years of experience and doing this. I really love the process of going through this. I love matching horses and riders, but what I really like to do for myself is I, as a trainer, if I'm buying a horse for somebody, I like to make the contact. I like to find out all the things from the other trainer. And then one of the tricks that I've learned is that you need to ask them is a commission included because sometimes these other people that are selling, and this is to protect my person because how I do it is I have my person pay me the commission because that way, um, the, the person always knows exactly what they're paying. So I have often gone and bought horses mainly in Florida and, um, in early years, didn't ask if there was a commission included and, and then found out later on, oh yes, there was a commission in there for you included. And then they ended up splitting it amongst themselves. And that was money that could have been saved for the client. So that's one of the biggest things that I always try to do as far as the actual money part of what's going into all of this. Um, I do, I like, I'd really like to have a lot of communication, um, with how that whole process has been, because you can really, you, the, the client can really get smacked around yeah. when it comes to the money part of it, which is unfortunate. Jen, one of my Jennifer. I, I had a policy back in the day when I had students who were looking for horses that I would not go horse shopping with them. They had to go horse shopping. And when they found one that they fell in love with, they could come and tell me. And then I would go and look at it with them. 
because my first rule was that if you don't love that horse's horse when he sticks his face out of his stall door every morning, you're going to get really tired of paying his yep. board bill. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a very good. Yeah, see so many people buying a horse on the recommendation of their generally well-intentioned trainer. They just don't love it. They ride it. They want to compete with it. But I think in order to get that connection that you need to have to truly excel at whatever you're going to do with your horse, you got yep. to love his little face when he sticks it out the stall yep. every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that mm-hmm. was kind of my first rule. Now. I also had veto power in that when we went to look at it with him, I could say, I'm sorry, you fell in love with a dud. But that had to come first. And it saved me a lot of time. I didn't have to go yeah. driving around looking at horses that I got on them and go, oh, my gosh, this horse is perfect for you. And they go, nah, not feeling it. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the other, th- other rule I had was I don't believe anything the seller says. Mm-hmm. Period. If it's a, if they tell me it's a mare, I'm looking. Yeah. Um, that's a really good point, Jen, because, you know, a lot of people, um, and especially if you are in the business on so many different angles, like you are, um, you know, you just, you know, you do talk to somebody, you see them at a show or there's somebody you're quite friendly with, or you may even, you go and have dinner and whatever. You have no idea how they're going to act business wise, because some of the most trustworthy people can do some of the most things were, are crazy. I mean, I just recently had an experience that I was so shocked by how it went down. And these, you know, it happened amongst some pretty nice, wonderful people, but what happened was bizarre. And it's just, it's, you know, you got to ask questions and never trust anything. Look under the hood, look under the hood. And it's not always nefarious. Mm -hmm. So much of the equine world is subjective. Yeah. And we speak in generalizations. So if you're having a conversation about something and the owner or seller might respond quite honestly. But when you test that answer to see if what they said is really what it is, your perception of the answer might be very different. Is this horse, um, is this horse good? Is, is this a forward horse? Yeah, he's a forward horse, but not really a whole bunch. I'd say he's, he's a little bit below average on forward. But then when you get on the horse, you go, whoa. This horse isn't anywhere near forward. It's not mm-hmm. because that seller was necessarily being dishonest. His perception the, was Yes, different. absolutely. So That's why you got to go sit on them. <laughs> you got to go sit on yep. them. You got to test them. And there's so many people, they go test ride a horse and they don't press their buttons. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to respect the horse and you got to respect the seller. But you've got to press their buttons too. If you're one of those riders that has terrible hands... I'm sorry, let your hands be terrible because if your horse can't put up with him, you better not buy him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And it's also interesting too because I have this um, a situation right now where I have a gal that's really interested in going to try some other horses, but um, she's a very, very good rider, but she's always timid when she first gets on. So I have her getting on different things at my barn now. So when we go there, she will have that experience, a little bit of getting on different things because, you know, because sometimes just because you're timid one day, two days, three days, I mean, most people go, I think twice tops, probably three times to go try a horse. You know, it's hard to make a large investment choice over something like that when you don't feel physically or mentally ready. And so that's, that's another thing that I really try to do my best is to get people on different horses. If they're only riding one horse all the time, it's going to, it's going to, going to be that one special horse that, 
you know, and that's the great thing about going to Wellington. If you're going to go look at something, you are always, <laughs> you're going to always have more than one horse to look at. But if you're flying out to Oregon or Washington state, you may be just going for one horse and spending a lot of money and it not be the right thing. And so that's kind of always a hard thing too. So be as prepared as you can physically, emotionally, everything. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing that I would add is um, if, if you find a horse and you love it, and you're having it vetted, pull the blood. Oh, absolutely. And and absolutely make sure that it it hasn't been um, yes. medicated. What, and, yeah. and, and even when then, I, you might be wrong. Been there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing. is I When I sell a horse, I insist that there's blood pulled. If the person doesn't want to do it, I do the blood and I hold it. I learned that from an old, a friend of mine. Um, I have That's the blood pulled. Idea, I have actually. The, <laughs> Well, I just, it, you have to be careful. I mean, you know, and I've sold some pretty expensive horses and, um, and if someone's, you know, getting into that time, I just say it is a requirement mm-hmm. that you pull the blood. If you don't do it, I'm going to do it. So, you know, it's on record. So there's nothing you can come back to me at. Right. So uh, along that lines, that's for somebody buying. Now, what are our tips for people who are selling? My tips are whenever a horse comes to me, um, two things have to happen. They have to have a full set of recent x-rays yep. and it doesn't have to be extensive, extensive, but if someone's going to get on a plane, I want to say this is x-rays. Now, having yep. said that, I don't just randomly send out x-rays to anybody who asks for them because, um, I also feel that that can be, you know, I, I need to know how the people have to ask the right questions. Um, you know, you'll start to hear a tone in the text or the email or when you're talking to them, when you go, okay, you can sort of tell that this is a very serious person, but I, I make sure that the horse has that. And that also has, it also has been flexed by that, that I have a video of before it gets to my farm or once it gets to my farm for the same reason that, cause I've had many horses that have been in my program. Sometimes they didn't sell right away and they were there for four months and they go to flex them and they're slightly off because maybe they needed their hocks done. Well, they didn't feel it. They didn't act lame under saddle. So I just like to have all of those I's dotted and T's crossed. Good point. Yeah. Jennifer? The, the, the um, yes, you are going up for sale, pre-vet soundness check key. That's, that's a biggie. Um, another one that I always had, now I was dealing with horses that didn't have so many zeros in their price tags. B, um, and this is one of my favorites. I was so bad at selling horses. I'll prerequisite that. Uh, be prepared to say to the uh, person trying the horse, this isn't the right one for you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because yes. sometimes I, it's the yeah. right horse for them, but they're not the right horse for the, fo- you know, yeah. sometimes yeah. Like, yeah. Mm, I don't think I don't like this matchup and be prepared to say that because particularly for me, because again, I'm working in a much different financial strata than you are. When mm-hmm. somebody comes out to try the horse and it, you know, it's a thousand bucks, a couple thousand bucks, and you go, you know, after I've talked to this person and spent a little time with them, I know what's going to happen to this horse in three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Be prepared to say, I don't think it's a good fit. And yeah. I always have plenty of excuses in my arsenal. Yeah. So that it's legit. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Like your shoes don't match his color. Isn't what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I have said that more often than not. Un- yeah. I was lousy at selling horses, but I, it weighs on me emotionally. If I need to find the horse a fit, I can't just. Yeah. 
And they were, because they were pleasure horses. They were people's backyard companions and their pets and their family members. It wasn't a professional relationship for the most part. So there was no obligation to take care of their equine's investment because eventually when they got to third level and that's as far as the horse could go, they needed to protect that because that horse is going to take somebody else to third level. Mm -hmm. That wasn't always the case. So I had to feel comfortable that the person who was going to buy that horse had that responsibility gene. Mm -hmm. My tip would be be realistic when you're pricing. Ooh, good one. Mm. Because just because, you know, the horse at a show in your class just sold for $80,000 does not mean that your horse is an $80,000 horse. Maybe it's a $100,000 horse, but maybe it's a $30,000 horse. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think prices in horses get really inflated and then the horse doesn't sell and then it has a reputation of not selling and what's wrong with it when really it was all a pricing issue. Yeah. So be realistic about I think that's price. a very good point. And, and I think the best way to do that is really look on the market, see what's out there. Um, with the internet today, there is, it's really very but easy. But you can't go on just a level. You know, oh, this horse is going for $70,000 in its third level. Well, there may yeah. be a lot of reasons that it's $70,000. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just because your horse is at third level, that's not a marker for pricing. Right. Yes. It's just right. one of the considerations. And just because you ran through a third level test once and it got a change doesn't mean you get right. to ask $70,000. Right. A show record goes that's a long way. A long and that's and that's really one of my biggest things is that like right now we have a wonderful Lusitano gelding that came to us and Hannah showed him um, twice, two different shows, four different judges, third level and fourth level. Um, anywhere between 69 and 73. So I'm, I'm going to say that I think that horse is solidly at that level and he's, you know, yeah. but he's also being ridden by a professional. So if a green person comes along and says, oh my gosh, I have money to buy this horse, but I don't have the trainer, then I'm going to do what you do, Jennifer, and say, mm, not the right horse. Right. Yeah. You know, not the right horse. Not the and right it's, match. you know, yeah. not the right match now. In a year's time, he may be better, but he's also going to be, have a couple more zeros at the end of his price tag. But that's, you know, Mm-hmm. that's the other thing too, is I think that, you know, people are like, Oh, I got to change. You know, in the old days, you used to always say if your horse was walk track can or could leg yield. And once you got a flying change, you added $10,000. Yep. You remember that Tigger? Yeah. And I think that's pretty true. If you can get a good, reliable change, but that doesn't mean you just get it once. That means you can get anywhere every in the time. ring every day of the yeah. week and that someone else can get on and do it. Then you can add that, but it doesn't yeah. mean you get to do it just because you got it once or twice. Right. There you go. Sage yeah. advice. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to healthycrittersradio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean your litter box. 
Dance with your goat. Slither with your snakes. Howl at the moon. Hang with your hamster. Party with your parrot. Waddle with your walrus. Outwit your otter. Cuddle your cows. Rap with your raptor. Go chipping with your chipmunks. Forgive your fox. While hedging your hog. We also recommend that you rack with your raccoon. Gyrate with your giraffe. Meditate with a meerkat. Uber with your orangutan. Facebook with your flamingo. Ponder with your panda. Walk with your wookie. Yawn with your yak. Twitter with your toucan. Go raining with your reindeer. Dropbox your dragon. (laughs) 